Good morning. Bible reading this morning has been taken from St. John's, the last chapter in his gospel, chapter 21, beginning at first, verse 1. And it's headed up, Jesus and the Miraculous Catch of Fish. And if you'd like to read it in your Bible, you'll find it on page 1687. John 21. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the full net of fish, for they had not far from shore about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning of a fire of burning coals. There was fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even, so, even with so many, the net had not been torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Anne. Let's pray. Jesus, after you came back to life, you spoke to your disciples. You called to them from the shore to the boat. I believe you're speaking to us by your same word this morning, calling to us. So would you give us ears to hear, hearts to respond? We ask, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. I wonder if you've got a favourite breakfast. Now, I'm not talking about menu choices, whether it's, you know, sausage and egg or uh, kippers or something. Have you got a favourite breakfast, a particular breakfast, one that you look back on? Everyone should have one. I've got one. Uh, If you haven't, you know, now's a chance to have a little think. What's your favourite breakfast? I'll tell you about mine. My favourite breakfast was in Scotland. It's about 20 years ago. 
uh, and it was with my Scottish relatives, and they live near uh, Aberdeen, Aberdeenshire. And there's this very, very special breakfast food up there called a uh, buttery or an Aberdeen roll. And it was developed, this is why it ties in with our story, it was developed for fishermen because they basically managed to pack as much salt and fat and butter into something you could carry as they possibly, possibly could. I mean, after all, they are Scottish. I can say that because I'm half Scottish. And they're delicious, as you can imagine. If you compress, just imagine compressing. It's like it's like a hundred of the best croissants you've ever eaten compressed into one delicious disc. It's absolutely fantastic. And this breakfast with my family, my great great uncle, and he really is great. I've probably talked about him before. You'll hear about him again. Uh, came into where we were sat with our family, carrying. Uh, not, I should probably put this in context. Normally, me and my brother were allowed one per day by my parents, by my dad, because that was basically already probably double your calorie intake for the week. So we were allowed one per day. But when my great-great-uncle was involved, then my parents had no say. So in comes my great-great-uncle to this breakfast spread, carrying what could only be described as a platter of butteries. He must have gone around the entire town buying up everything the bakers had made. I'd hate to think what the calorie total was of this tray, uh, but it would be astronomical. And he set down this tray of hot butteries and was like, help yourselves. Best breakfast I've ever had. I wonder if you have uh, a favorite breakfast as well. I would imagine that for the disciples who were there, this would have been their favorite breakfast of all. Here we are now, uh, sometime after Jesus has risen from the dead. He's been appearing to them. It's not the first time that most of them have seen him, uh, but he's sort of coming and going. They're meeting him. He's alive. They thought this wonderful man who they'd followed and who they'd seen hung up to die was dead, but no, he's alive. And as we've been thinking for the last few weeks, on several occasions, they had this wonderful opportunity to actually meet with him. And he is really physically alive. Now, I hope, if you're a Christian here this morning, you may not be, but if you are, I hope that you absolutely believe that. It's so important to our faith that the risen Jesus is not just a vision or a spirit or a sort of angelic being. He is really, actually, physically, humanly alive. He's there, we're told, um, on the coast, on the shore. His feet were leaving marks in the sand. His breath and the early morning air was sending the mist that you could see. His voice, as he calls out, is reverberating through the air to create the air pressure in the disciples' ear that they might hear him speak. He is really physically, actually alive. And I mention that because I wonder if it's one of those beliefs that we allow to drift sometimes. Because it is absolutely extraordinary. And yet it is at the absolute heart of our faith that our hope in resurrection as humans stems from Jesus having a human resurrection, fully God and fully man. And here he is on the beach, starting a fire, cooking up some breakfast. The fire is interesting. I won't say any more about this because it will lead us into what happens next week. There's two times, twice, John mentions, specifically mentions a charcoal fire in his gospel. Here's one of them. Do you know the other one? In the court with Peter 
on the night that Jesus dies. That's going to become more relevant next week, so I'll just leave that. I'll leave that there. Whoever's preaching next week can thank me for stealing one, probably one of their best points. The point today is he's really alive. He's working with charcoal. He's, he's lighting a fire. He says striking a match. don't think he had a match. don't know how he would have done it. Uh, starting a fire. And the temptation is to forget that, to sort of lose sight of the fact that he is really actually physically alive. That is what our hope is built on. That Jesus, as one of us, has gone through death and out the other side. He's taken humanity, as it were, through death and back to new life. Yes, it sounds absolutely extraordinary. But if there really is a God who made us, then of course the extraordinary is possible. Jesus is alive. But we also see in this passage, in this encounter, is he's not just alive as a human, he's also the Lord. He is God. He is still in control of his creation. At first, they just hear this voice, don't they, calling from the shore. They're not sure who it is uh, to begin with. And he says, friends, haven't you any fish? It's amazing, actually, isn't it, how often the disciples never catch fish. You can see why Jesus sort of repurposed their mission, because at least on the Bible's evidence, they're not actually very good fishermen. I'm sure they were the rest of the time. Have you caught any fish? No, they answered. So he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And of course, that straight away makes them realise this is Jesus. It reminds them of those days they spent with him, those early days when he was out in the boats with them, performing miracles, catching fish, doing these extraordinary things that only Jesus could do. And when he says, cast your nets on the other side, they're filled with fish. And they realise it's the Lord, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John, who's writing the gospel. It's autobiographical. The disciple whom Jesus loved says, it is the Lord. He's not only alive as a human, taking humanity through death and offering us life. He is God. That's how he can do it. That's who he is. He is the Lord who reigns over his creation. And so the living Lord is alive. It's extraordinary. Yes, it takes faith to believe it, but what an amazing saviour to believe in. Fully God, fully man, alive, reigning and ruling over his creation. But there's a personal side to it as well. Here's where it comes out of just theology and actually speaks, I think, to our hearts it's not just this one extraordinary, unique, momentous moment in history when the Son of God stepped down into our world, into his own creation in order to live, to die, and to rise again, to be both fully good and fully man, uh, so that the theologians could uh, debate and discuss it. No, he did it so that he could be with ordinary people like Peter and John and you and me. I love the fact that these resurrection appearances is not uh, the risen Jesus coming in glory uh, with an army of angels to Pilate or to Herod to say, look, I told you so. Do you want to have another go? No, it's Jesus sitting on the beach cooking breakfast for his friends. It's personal. 
He's done it so that people like them and people like us can, can, can be with him. And Peter. <laughs> Peter of all of them. The hothead. The impulsive one. Jumps, wraps his cloak around him, jumps into the water. They're like, Peter, this is the heaviest boat. Thanks a lot, mate. But he can't help it. He can't help it. He loves Jesus so much that he just has to go and be with him. He has to see him. It's Jesus. I've got to go. I've got to go. Jesus, the living Lord, God and man, resurrected, appears on the beach, cooks some breakfast, and Peter runs and swims and splashes his way to spend time with him. I'm going to have a drink just for a second. Just put yourself there for a moment. Imagine it. The warmth of sun in the Middle East of a morning just rising off the water, off the sand of the beach. Smell, fire, the fish, the bread. Just imagine yourself in Peter's sandals, splashing, running as fast as you can as the water slows you down onto the shore, running up to Jesus and giving him a hug. Just put yourself there for a second. You thought he was dead, but he's alive. You thought he'd lost, but he's the Lord. You thought you'd lost him, but he's come to find you. I wonder over time whether the idea of spending time with Jesus for us becomes a little bit dry, a little bit dusty, a little bit formulaic. But if that ever happens, put yourself back on the beach. You know, so often I think we, we feel like we've drifted from God. Like a boat that's lost its moorings, just drifting away perhaps. We feel like we can't hear from him perhaps for a little while or we're just not sure. And our response, uh, so often our response is, oh God, if you're there, would you shout louder? But of course what Jesus actually says is, Come closer. We say, shout louder, God. And he says, come closer. He wants to spend time with us. He wants to know us. He doesn't just love us. I think he likes us. Despite our flaws and our failings and the things that we mess up. He went through all of that, not just to prove who he is as the resurrected man and the Lord of creation, but so that he could sit on the beach and share fish finger sandwiches with his friends. I'm not making that up, there's bread as well. He wants to spend time with you. He wants you to draw close. I wonder if sometimes it can feel like there's a bit of a fog. Put ourselves back in that scenario. A bit of a fog, we're on the boat, Jesus is on the shore. We believe he's there, we, know, we, we believe he's alive, we believe he's risen, but there's this sort of fogginess. Someone shared that this morning at the prayer ministry meeting. I thought it was a great picture of it. Like the mist of the morning, just kind of this fog. Jesus is there somewhere, I'm not sure. And he says, come. Come and see. In your heart, 
Come and see. Speak to me. Ask me. Invite me. I'm here. He's gone through all of this to make us the people who can be in his presence, to make us into a living temple where his spirit can dwell. That's what he's done. That's what Peter in that letter I read from the beginning goes on to say. He's making us living stones as a temple where his very presence is pleased to dwell. He's made us holy and right with God in order that we can spend that time with him. And when we do and when we're back there, we remember that it is the greatest and most joyful place we can possibly be. So maybe that's you or I this morning. Maybe it's all of us. We've imagined this fog between us, between us and the Lord. And he says, let the light of his truth burn that fake fog away. Come. Come like Peter. Come splashing through the water across the sand and draw near to the Lord who wants to spend time with us who wants us to know that he's alive and what it's like to live in his presence and his power. He's saying to the disciples here through his miracle, what I told you you will do, you will do in my power. You will go and not just be fishers, but fishers of men. It's a a recommissioning, as he's about to do, and we'll hear next week with Peter. And maybe he needs to do that for us or for you this morning, for me. Clear away that fog, draw near, come. Spend time with the God who wants to spend time with you. Because Jesus is the living Lord, we can have that joy of knowing him. I'm going to pause there and I'm just going to pray. You might like to pray, just talk to Jesus. Even if you've never done it before, just close your eyes and talk to Jesus. Jesus, if you're there, if you're really alive, you're really the laws I want to know I want to draw near I want to be aware of you with me and the hope and the joy that that brings I'm going to pray I'm going to leave some quiet just close your eyes and talk talk to the laws let's pray